and welcome to Cavos on the Couch by Life Science Health. I'm Nikki Lianza, and I'm so excited for this episode today because Melinda Zapone, a counselor from our Cherrytown, New York office, will be having a conversation with one of her amazing clients, Christine Torres, who will be sharing her personal account with bipolar disorder. So welcome, Christine. Welcome, Melinda. Great to have you both on. Thank you. Thank you. Melinda, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I'm a licensed mental health counselor for 17 years. Um, About five years ago, I completed my um, certification as a trauma professional, and I'm finishing up level two now. Um, And Christine started with me. I'm lucky, lucky to follow me from one clinic to another. She started with me about three, almost four years ago, I would say now. And so it's a really unique opportunity for the two of us to be working together this long. And I just thought it would be really important to talk, for her to tell her story. Great. Thank you, Melinda. And what about you, Christine? Tell us a little bit about you. Um, so, yes, I am a, currently in my last year um, of my master's at NYU. I'm in social work school. Um, so I will be graduating in May, finally. It took me a little while. as part-time. Um, I also am the assistant studio manager at An Orange Theory by me, um, and that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Great. Thank you. And Melinda and Christine, I'd like for you guys to definitely take it from here. I have a little intro because, yes, Christine is very special, but we also kind of have a little bit of a larger purpose. Um, And it's basically to start off saying, you know, if if you've met one person with bipolar disorder, you've met one person with bipolar disorder. Yet the disorder has been kind of iconicized into one picture, that of an unstable person. Um, Although there's often a stigma associated with all mental illnesses, bipolar disorder can be especially stigmatizing. Individuals with bipolar are often portrayed as crazy in movies and books. And quite often the characters are the ones shown committing crimes or somehow not able to live independently. And we wanna change that with interviews like this. Um, There's a definite divide in the spectrum of mental illnesses. One side being more normalized um, and acceptable and the the other. For example, you know, you want your new hire to have a little bit of, you know, meticulousness, maybe some OCD, but not so much with bipolar disorder. While the diagnosis can be affirming, I've seen relief come over someone's face when the out of control feelings are validated. The flip side is also experienced. You can feel tremendous loss of self. It can be traumatic and people bottle it up just like a trauma. There's often painful pasts, um, even before the diagnosis. And then when one has an episode, the symptoms may lead to a relationship, a lost job, a risky decision, or definite, I've reached my threshold level of distress in their life. As a therapist, I definitely default to a trauma perspective. This is particularly fitting for bipolar. This condition is happening to them. And while medication, psychoeducation, and emotion regulation, coping skills, Christine will know all about, um, are part of this, it's really the wellness model perspective that I think has really become so important. Um, that's one that states you got to feel in control of your life. Um, like you can capitalize on your strengths and your abilities and 
give back to your family and your community. I've learned through being a trauma therapist that the approach with really anyone, but particularly bipolar, is to be present with the fact that they have painful past related to and because of the dis disorder. It's not an approach for every clinician, um, but I've used personal experience recovering from trauma to guide the clinical work I do and indicate to some of my patients. I do this because I know it works on a personal level. My client, Christine Torres, is working with me for three years, as I mentioned, and in the course of her recovery with bipolar, she started to discover it would include becoming a helping professional. It was at this turning point where we connected in new ways, and she began the part of recovery that I invited her to talk about today. Um, in my opinion, we as clinicians, we bear witness to recovery like this. We do not extract infected parts of people. We watch and facilitate people integrate themselves again, or maybe for the first time. My hope is that individuals with bipolar will become maybe stigmatized in a new way, um, a way as a challenge for professional helping to demand authentic caring sometimes when it's appropriate. So that better is more than symptom free. Christine will give us a glimpse of her personal experience with becoming more than symptom free in her interview. So we're gonna start off with some questions, although I invite Christine to free flow if she wants to. So the first question we have for Christine, um, you have been in uninterrupted therapy with me for three years. I think your journey has been longer than that. Um, what do you think the biggest change is for you and how you approach your recovery now as opposed to when we started? So my recovery now um, is a lot more, what would I say? I'm more intentional about it. Um, I think in the beginning, I. I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't know anything. <laughs> I didn't even know, like, I didn't have a diagnosis. I was just, I was going through a lot. Um, I was in college. It was my third year. And so um, when I first started, I was just, all I knew about therapy was that I was talking to someone. Um, and that's pretty much all that I got out of it. Um, it wasn't until I started um, working with Melinda that I actually felt like I was making, I mean, I made progress. I'm not going to say that I was like completely stagnant for years. Um, but I think that point in my life kind of, um, catapulted me forward, um, and gave me the opportunity to, um, use a lot more of, um, my skills. Cause now I have skills. I didn't have as many skills before. So, um, developing those over the years is also something that, um, is very different. Cause now if I, um, you know, I'm starting to recognize that, uh, some symptoms are coming up that are, um, reminiscent of either depression or hypomania, I'm able to kind of nip it in the butt before it gets too intense and too, um, unbearable. Yeah. She's got a crystal ball for that stuff now. <laughs> So this, I think this kind of segues pretty nicely. When, when we've started talking about symptom management in your sessions, it's often led to a conversation about relationships. Can you tell us about how for you symptom management becomes about maintaining healthy relationships now? 
Yeah. So um, when it comes to relationships, I think they are, we, we put importance on it, but I don't, I think we uh, it's, it's a little underrated um, how impactful they are in our lives. And I think we try to make it seem like it doesn't really matter as much because like we're so individualized and like all, all that matters is me um, and how I go about life. However, like these people are in your life and they're going to affect you one way or another. So, um, and I think that I'm just a very like emotional and passionate person. And for me, my relationships are very, um, very meaningful for me. And uh, so I have a lot of emotions tied to them. And so with someone that feels so much, um, I feel a lot in my relationships. And I think um, I recognized a lot of unhealthy patterns in myself as well as the people that I've had around me. Um, And so in order, and, and one thing that you have to remember is that even though you're going through recovery, not everybody else in your life is. Um, and so you really have to be able to contend with the fact that even though you're changing, growing and developing, they might still be where they are. Um, and so how do you keep getting better and progressing and growing if the people around you really aren't? And I think I've, um, honestly, if for the people that have, I mean, you know, I've been in therapy for a while for, so there's people that are now out of my life and the people that have stayed in my life are people that have been able to grow with me. Um, is that many people? No, (laughs) but that's okay. Um, and I, I've come to a place where I'm much more, um, okay with endings, um, of relationships. They don't, um, obviously like I'm going to be upset, but I don't stay in that place for as long and the feeling isn't as intense. Um, so I think that answers your question. <laughs> Definitely. And I, I just wanted to add, you know, I think for Christine, it, it's just very, very hard to kind of have be in a inflamed relationship, but also having some episodes within that. And really, I mean, people who get out of that are superstars for being able to manage a relationship and the symptoms at the same time. I just think it's, you know, and that's that's a tool that that individuals really need actually earlier in treatment. So I'm really glad that Christine is proud of her own self. Christine, when do you decide your treatment might have a purpose beyond just like your own mental health? Um, so I, this is kind of like a, how I kind of got here. So um, I started um, college and I started in music therapy. So that was my major. Um, and So all I really knew was that in some capacity, I wanted to help people and I love music. So I was like, okay, like, why don't we blend the two? Um, And I still think that it's a beautiful and amazing field. However, it just wasn't for me. I'm too much of a perfectionist. So when it comes to music, I need to be like on point. Um, And that's not really what music therapy is for. It's for the other person. So um, it just, the, the connection of the two of them wasn't as uh, smooth as I want it to be. It was idealistic of me to think so, but I didn't really know any difference. So from there, um, I transferred, changed majors, transferred schools, and I got into human development and family studies. And my advisor at the time, um, I was just going to end it there. I was going to get my degree. And then I don't know what I was going to do. I was just like, okay, I'll, I'll work with people. I think I wanted to um, work in parent education. Um, 
but which would have been okay because I had like a family life education and credential or whatever. So, um, she convinced me that I should go for my master's. Um, and I eventually con- conceded. <laughs> um, and I, I, she, she had very good reason for it. And obviously like, I'm happy where I am. So I'm glad that she gave me that push. Um, I just kind of wanted to be done with school and I still want to be done with school. But <laughs> there. Um, so as I went through that, I had to figure out like, what I wanted to major in. Um, I knew I needed to get some, have some kind of major that would give me a license at the end of it. Uh, so social work seemed um, what I needed. I still didn't really know hundred percent where I wanted to take that. And I was still like in that like parent education type um, mindset. Once I kind of was going through that and I got accepted to NYU, um, my first year, I was simultaneously working full time um, as a case manager at a family homeless shelter. Um, So that was one going to school and managing a very toxic relationship. So um, I wasn't able to finish out my first year. I ended up going into a um, partial hospitalization and subsequently. uh, intensive outpatient program. And, um, during that time, I remember feeling a lot of shame for being, um, being in treatment, being in recovery. And also like, how am I supposed to help people if I'm like messed up myself? You know what I mean? Like, that's what, that was what I was thinking. And I'm like, well, I'm in no place, um, to help anybody if I'm, and I mean, in some, ways that is true. Like I needed to get through what I was getting through in order to, to be, um, a clinician. However, I just kind of felt like because I'm going through this, like I can never do that. Um, and that's obviously not the case. And, um, it was through that and through working in Melinda with Melinda that I like really, um, understood what my, how my, um, treatment was influencing my, um, my work as a social worker. And, um, so that's when I kind of like started to be okay with it. <laughs> um, cause I remember bringing that up in, um, my IOP and, um, the group facilitator would kind of, um, I don't remember how she did it, but she just reminded me that, um, we're all wounded warriors in some way or another. And the fact that not everybody talks about it, um, you know, is, it's unfortunate. Um, so I'm glad we're doing something like this, but, uh, yeah, I've really noticed how much, um, my own treatment informs my practice. I'm very, uh, similar to how Melinda says that she uses self-disclosure, um, as a tool in therapy. I do as well. So, um, I have, you know, done some counseling with middle school students and, um, I, Definitely. I mean, obviously I'm not going to disclose my entire life and like my, you know, diagnosis and all this stuff. Um, and also like I, I, I do connect with them and relate with them, um, on a deeper level. And, um, I think they definitely pick up on that and, uh, I become relatable very quickly. Um, and they become very, uh, they're, they're able to disclose a lot about themselves very quickly. So. It's, I think it's been, um, a useful tool, tool for me. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, Christine said wounded, wounded warrior. Um, I think we both kind of connected um, on that aspect that we kind of like would see the spark in each other eyes, each other's eyes during sessions that like we know stuff that other people don't, that academic training can't, can't get you. Um, so Christine, I wanted to ask you if, you know, what is your relationship with asking for help now that you've been both a patient and a therapist? A mini therapist. Um, asking for help. Yes, <laughs> I'm a budding therapist. Um, no, but uh, asking for help uh, was something I would never do. <laughs> I would suffer through it as much as possible till the very last moment until someone was like, do you need help? <laughs> and even then I was like, no, <laughs> don't need any help. I could do it by myself. I don't need anybody. Um, and I would say over the past year or so, maybe a little longer. Um, I've become very skilled at asking for help. Um, I noticed that when you ask for things, you actually get them. (laughs) Uh, it is, it's a weight off my shoulders when I'm able to ask for, um, help or some kind of accommodation, uh, and not feel, bad about myself for that like like not good enough um because that's really where it came from before it's like I just felt like if I can't do this on my own then I'm not good enough um and removing that from from the equation is really what once I did it a a couple times and I'm like every single time I ask for help I'm getting results so why would I not and then just like sit there and suffer and not be able to get these things done um so I think through therapy, that's really what has brought me to this point of being able to ask for those things. Um, and I do them in multiple different spaces in school, at my internship at work, um, and things like that. And those were spaces I would never ask for help because I didn't want to be seen as like incompetent. Um, and so now that I've been asking for those things, I think, um, I mean, no, no, I, I haven't sensed that anybody feels differently about me because I ask for those things. Um, you know, I, I think it, in most cases, it brings me and the person a little bit closer to, um, some sense of me get like, I'm being a little vulnerable, right. Cause I'm not telling them everything that's going on in my life and like why it is that I need help. And, um, depending on the person that I'm, you know, involved with, but you know, when it comes to uh, academia or like my profession, um, I'm not going to disclose everything, but, uh, I definitely am more adept to <laughs> asking people, um, and, and receiving that. So that's been a positive, definitely a positive change that I've seen within myself. One, one thing too, that I just want to, you know, applaud Christine. She's also learned the more subtle form of asking for help, which kind of, you know, requires everybody level up a little bit. Um, which is kind of saying to you know people, you know, I feel like a vibe in this meeting right now that there's you know there's a lot of um, talking one way and there might be doing another way after, and and learning to kind of ask for people, I feel something. Can you can we deal with that? Because I trust the way I feel. Um, that's a more subtle way of asking for help, but it's really important for somebody who has sometimes mood swings that they can't trust to be able to do that. And Christine is definitely, that's, you know, she's nailed that, especially at her orange theory job. (laughs) Um, So let's see, I guess the, (laughs) so Christine and I have this thing that sometimes, but she still needs to work on, but she's getting better. She will drop a bomb on me. (laughs) 
the last five minutes of, of session, which is a phenomenon across all therapy sessions, not just Christine does that. Um, so it's not really a bomb, but it is a big question. Um, we know it's not going to be answered with finality. So I just want to give you that space. But I did want to ask you, do you think that it was important to get the diagnosis and if it helped more than it hurt? Yeah, um, definitely a loaded question. <laughs> um, I remember very clearly when I got the diagnosis, I actually, so I was misdiagnosed, which is also really common with people with um, bipolar disorder, but I was diagnosed with um, uh, clinical depression. And um, at the time I was depressed, so it made sense. Um, and my therapist at the time had introduced um, like, if I wanted to go on medication and try it because, um, it was, I, I really wasn't moving from, from where I was, no matter what we were really doing in therapy or talking about. So, um, she thought it would be good. And so I went on an antidepressant. I don't remember which one it was to be quite honest. Um, and just shot through the roof with mania. So, um, and I was, so I, at that point, um, I was, cause I, I've always had like some kind of knowledge about uh, mental health and, and disorders and stuff like that. I wasn't like trained at that point, but so I was like 19, but, um, yeah, I do remember my, my therapist sitting with the DSM out in front of her asking me these questions. Um, like, do you experience this, like this, that, and the other thing. And I was so uncomfortable. I, I didn't want that to, I knew that I knew that that was the diagnosis that she was coming to. Um, and I just didn't want it to be true. Um, because of everything that Melinda said in the beginning of this, um, you know, it's very stigmatized. I didn't want to come off as crazy. Um, and so for me, it was like, if I have this diagnosis, I must be crazy. Um, and it's anything, anything but that, but I think that going through that process was important too. Um, because I've had to validate myself and, um, show myself that that's not the case and really understand my emotions and where they come from. Uh, and that I'm not just some crazy reactive person. Like it's coming from somewhere and I need to manage, um, my reaction when I do have those kinds of feelings. So, um, I think in the beginning it gave me a lot of anxiety, um, but coming to terms with it really, uh, helped me. And now I really have no problem. <laughs> um, I like even something like this, I, I know that, um, we had all talked about how much confidentiality I wanted to have. And I had mentioned to Nikki, and I mentioned this to Melinda um, previously too, because we had spoken about it before coming on today, um, about how, how much I wanted to be on here. Like, did I want my, um, did I want my video on? And did I want, um, just like audio or whatever it may be. And my response to that was like, well, yeah, I understand someone's inclination to not want to, um, do that, especially with something like bipolar disorder. I am in the field. Like what if, um, you know, a future employer sees it or something like that. And now they don't want to work with me. Well, now I don't want to work with you if you don't want to work with me because of that. Um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I just think that, hiding it, for me, it just feels like hiding. You know what I mean? Like I would rather put a face to it. Um, because I don't have anything to be ashamed about. Um, I now 
use this as a strength. Um, and I'm able to see, I'm, I'm able to feel a lot. So I feel a lot from other people too. (laughs) I'm very empathetic. So, um, it, it, I think it, at this point, it's more of a tool for me than, than a hindrance. And Christine, I would like to ask a question. If you had, if you would have any advice for someone newly diagnosed with bipolar disorder, what advice or guidance would you share with them? Breathe. <laughs> um, hang on. <laughs> what was that, Melinda? Hang on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, th- I think um, like this is where it begins, right? Like you, you have a diagnosis. Now you have an answer to why you are feeling the way you were feeling. Um, so now it's time for like, and what can we do about that? It's not a death sentence. Um, it's not like, it's nothing, it's nothing bad. Right. Cause we always talk about like good and bad and, and nothing is ever good. Like it, it just is right. So it just is what it is. And so like, what can we do moving forward? And there's a lot we can do. We're not, you know, doomed to suffer for the rest of our lives. Um, so, you know, just building on those skills because there are skills that you can build that will help you manage all of that. Um, and, you know, it's easy to sit here and be like, oh, just be mindful, be grateful, like things like that. Um, and that's not something that someone needs to hear in the very beginning. Um, so just kind of like working through what they are feeling um, and just feel what you feel and let it be and everything, everything will be okay. <laughs> great, great. I wanted to chime in, Nikki, on, yeah. on that also, because I feel like you know, not that I would say, you know, follow my advice, but when I have, when a person doesn't come to me with already the diagnosis, I would say to them, I'm going to tell you something that you already know. I'm just going to give it a name because they do, they do know, but they're coming to me at their lowest point of being like, like, look what this, this disorder just did to me kind of a thing. Um, so I always want to capitalize on, you know, this, all I'm doing is putting a name on it. Exactly, Melinda, exactly. And sometimes with that name to it can bring a sense of relief of like, yes, I've known this, but now there's a name to it. And and that helps with the roadmap of then healing from there. So, and I want to thank you both, Christine, Melinda, thank you. I think you guys are doing an amazing job helping others take away that stigma from bipolar disorder. And I, I really appreciate you both um, just sharing your time with us. And I can see the wonderful therapeutic rapport you both have. Pretty much appreciate it. We're going to have session after this. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Christine, thank you. I wish you the best of luck. And Melinda, thank you again for bringing Christine to this episode for her to share her story. Thank you. Thank and thank you, you for inviting us, Nikki. Yep. Yeah, thank you so much, Nikki. This is a great container. Um, and I know it's going to help a lot of people to for other topics as well. So thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you.